millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to talk about some of the the quite curious inner politics of the SS camp system uh, during uh, the 1930s. Um, I'm going to look at the uh, edicts handed down by Heinrich Himmler and Theodor Eich, who was the um, commandant of Dachau, and then later uh, had wider responsibility for the camp system uh, itself. And some of the primary sources we're going to see today run contrary to what we would imagine uh, being written by Himmler. But there is, I believe, an explanation to it. Today I'm going to look at Nicholas Vashman's brilliant book, KL, uh, History of the Nazi Concentration Camps. Um, He writes... When Heinrich Himmler fantasised about his political soldiers, there was one virtue he prized above all, decency. Among all the commandments he issued, and there were many, this was paramount. However brutal the fight against the enemy, his men had to remember that they were fighting for the greater German good, not for personal gain or pleasure. Speaking to the SS leaders in 1938, Himmler insisted that sadism towards prisoners was just as wrong as compassion. To be hard without being cruel was the guiding principle. Himmler's call for propriety was echoed in SS camp orders. As early as October uh, 1933, Theodor Eich, um, only a few months into his reign as Dachau commandant, instructed his guards that any maltreatment or chicanery of prisoners was strictly forbidden. Other SS commandants followed suit. Later on, SS guards were even required to sign a written declaration that they would not lay a hand on any opponent of the state. Disobedient camp SS men were threatened with sanctions. In March 1937, Theodor Eich warned in a newsletter that Himmler might expel guards for the least maltreatment, box on the ear, in brackets, of inmates. Just a few months later, another newsletter carried this stunning announcement. 
SS Oberscharfuhrer Zeidler in the Sachsenhausen concentration camp has, because of his sadistic tastes, beaten a prisoner in the most vile manner. He was reduced to the rank of SS man, permanently expelled from the SS and handed over to the criminal judge. This case is being made known as a warning example. So, this seems strange. Um, Heinrich Himmler, who is not normally associated with compassion towards prisoners or any kind of morality as we understand it, seems to have believed in this notion of decency. Well, let's unpack it. It seems unlikely that uh, Himmler believed in the kind of uh, broadly accepted um, notions of uh, decency as most members of civil society would understand it. Himmler here seems to have been more concerned with order. What he didn't want was thuggishness. Um, If there was to be punishment, it was to be meticulous and almost scientifically administrated. Uh, As I've said in previous podcasts, Himmler's view of the camp system is that it was a kind of a corrective. It was a school, really, for wayward people who had not embraced embraced what he saw as being proper German values. The uh, camp system was really a factory in which your raw material went in at one end and the finished product, a good obedient German Aryan citizen, came out at the other with notions such as uh, socialism beaten out of them, or as Himmler liked to think, worked and educated out of them. As it says in that passage, uh, the SS were working towards some greater German good, some kind of utopian goal, the reforging of, of society. A great deal of the the camp men initially, the camp guards, had been SA men. And they, after 1934, uh, this fundamentally changed. Either the camp guards fell under the auspices of the SS or they were replaced by SS men. And I believe one of Himmler's motivations here was also to remove the culture of the SA, the culture of the... Um, ill-disciplined brawler and thug from the uh, camp system and replace it with a more disciplined regime. Now we should not assume for a moment that uh, there was uh, anything like the kind of uh, humane um, values that we might expect in a democratic society. Certainly not. Uh, The camps were harsh and brutal places. But what Himmler did not want was grassroots initiatives in uh, punishment. He did not want um, camp guards coming up with their own uh, sadistic uh, tortures and uh, punishments for the inmates. Instead, there was a, a long and lengthy training procedure in how inmates should be disciplined, and it needed to be adhered to rigidly. So this is really, these edicts were more about the centralisation of the camp system. If you've listened to any of the previous podcasts I've done on the Nazi camps, 
the Nazi camps really emerge from chaos, and it is Himmler who places a kind of a a, a greater uh, centrally administered order in, on them later in the 1930s. All camps were issued with a catalogue of punishments, uh, and these were modelled on the torments and punishments and sanctions that had been created at Dachau. In each camp, it was only the camp commandant that was allowed to authorise punishments. If guards saw any kind of breach of the rules, they would be responsible not for administering punishment on the spot, but for uh, sending uh, a message up the chain of command uh, to uh, find from the commandant what the appropriate course of action would be. Brutal punishments like flogging, for example, had to gain authorization from the uh, central administration for the camps in Berlin. Flogging was very popular amongst the uh, SS men. Um, it had all sorts of um, uh, resonances and uh, symbolism with their practice of slavery, and it was uh, something that the SS men found it was easy, basically easier on their knuckles uh, than to actually beat with their, their bare fists. Um, in Dachau, for example, SS men um, who were commanded by uh, Commandant Wackerl um, would stage um, beatings of new prisoners who would then be um, pulled off the um, vehicle that they had been brought to the camp in, a lorry or what have you, um, held over a table and whipped until uh, until flogged. Um, this was obviously before the formalisation of uh, Himmler's um, uh, Himmler's um, uh, punishments. Much of the flogging happened behind closed doors. In films about uh, Nazi Germany, we're often shown uh, punishment happening in front of prisoners, and certainly this did happen. But in a majority of cases, the prisoner was punished uh, out of the view of his fellow inmates. On the occasions where the punishment would happen uh, in the roll call square, um, the victim would be humiliated and shamed, uh, and the other prisoners would be intimidated. Sadly, these acts of um, sadism witnessed by the rest of the prisoners didn't result in a sense of uh, solidarity amongst the inmates. Instead, it has the desired effect of making them all more fearful of being singled out themselves and less likely to um, stick together uh, against impossible odds. These were the kinds of punishments that were codified into um, Himmler's um, uh, regulations. They were these were seen as the, sort of the, the, the decent sorts of of punishments. Um, uh, inmates, for example, who uh, were disciplined um, at uh, Buchenwald were uh, whipped on the behind until the, the blood flowed down their legs, and in some cases, the the canes for whipping them with actually broke. Actual punishment in terms of um, beating and flogging uh, was only one side of the uh, methods by which uh, the Nazi regime tried to discipline or break prisoners. 
um, the uh, use of labour um, and the use of uh, reduced rations um, and detention in uh, penal blocks um, was also employed. But what seems interesting is the complex bureaucracy that went into punishment. Um, before prisoners were punished, reports were written, uh, forms were signed off, and authorization was sought at as high a level as possible. And again, there is a logic to this which is uh, germane to Nazism itself. Uh, in that the camp system, like Nazi Germany, had to be um, carefully controlled by the regime in order to prevent chaos. The uh, camp administrators and Himmler himself were obsessed by the possibility of disorder, and in the minds of people like Himmler, the failings of Germany, the problems of Germany, uh, from the First World War onwards, and certainly the years of disorder during the Weimar Republic, were directly attributable to uh, a lack of, uh, of order. And the this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you. Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, camp system, if it had a point, was there to reinstill it, and therefore it could not be chaotic. It was, uh, in the minds of Himmler, an incredibly important part of the process of rebuilding Germany or reforging Germany. And Himmler also knew that the alumni of the camp system the SS men that graduated from it, would have a much, much bigger role when it came to Hitler's next war. They would be the men and women who would instill order not just in Germany, but beyond. 
Some prisoners had to wait weeks to find out how they would be punished, and obviously this was a kind of a, a deeply psychologically traumatic experience for them uh, as well. And the camps from much of the 1930s are still in their infancy. They're still in an experimental phase. Um, Theodore Eich uh, was more than happy for SS men to behave brutally. He was an extraordinarily brutal man himself. Um, but he said um, that he, this could not be condoned, or couldn't it be seen to be condoned, or, and I quote, or we would run the risk of being described by the Ministry of the Interior of the German Reich as incapable of dealing with prisoners. So the jury was out in certain parts of the uh, Nazi regime as to whether the camps were doing any good at all and if and as to whether they were doing their intended purpose of restoring order and transforming prisoners into ideal German citizens. It was impossible for the regulations to stamp out the violence of the SS. Uh, the SS uh, guards saw it as essential to the job and something that they had really signed up to do. Many SS men believed that they were still waging the war that had been fought up to 1933 on the streets of Germany against the left, uh, against um, those that they believed would undermine Germany, uh, and the idea that they should be treating the prisoners with kid clubs was uh, something of an anathema to them. So they continued um, and found uh, ways around the regulations to torment prisoners uh, and to make regular punishments much worse, um, flogging uh, prisoners more than they had been told to. Uh, and this was given uh, the, kind of the nod and a wink uh, by uh, permission by their superiors, who also broke the rules when they felt like it. The way that the prisoners behind the wire were viewed was as uh, an enemy against whom a war was being waged, and insubordination uh, could be uh, behind, could be in the offing at any point. Insubordination was the only weapon that the prisoners had against the guards, and therefore the guards in the camps knew that at any point. If they did break the rules, if they did act too brutally, then they could probably get away with it, with the justification that they were doing what it took uh, in order to win this battle or in order to keep the system safe. The uh, camp could justifiably put almost anything down to an act of necessity. And that is why in most cases, when prisoner abuses happened and prisoners were uh, beaten or killed, that the uh, SS guards would uh, report what had happened as an act of self-defence. So this meant uh, prisoner abuse was sanctioned only or disciplined only in exceptional circumstances. The example of Paul Zeidler, who had been mentioned in Ike's newsletter, um, was Zeidler wasn't expelled for torturing a prisoner as uh, Ike had claimed, um, the real crime, as far as the superiors, superiors were concerned, was that he had let himself be caught. Zeidler and his colleagues had murdered a prisoner, Friedrich Weissler, um, in 1937, 
but a routine investigation uh, of the camps um, had uncovered this, um, and Weisler, who had been a part of the uh, German Confessing Church, and his crime was to wind him up in the camps as he had written a letter of complaint to Hitler, um, his murder was reported in uh, German church circles, uh, and he was also a former judge. So these two factors made it more likely that the authorities, the judiciary, would investigate Weissler's murder. The message to Zeidler was uh, that SS men who are that stupid really don't deserve to wear the uniform. And probably this had a uh, an effect on other SS men, uh, encouraging them to pick more low-profile targets for their sadistic brutality. The SS stood by Zeidler for um, a period of time, but when it looked as if um, the rest of the Sachsenhausen administration might be uh, queried uh, and the uh, Sachsenhausen itself might be drawn into the scandal, uh, Zeidler was uh, dismissed. And so the uh, sacrifices uh, that that Zeidler made uh, kept the rest of the system working uh, as it was designed to. Now, it's interesting in all of this that Hitler's name rarely gets mentioned. Uh, Hitler was uh, able to keep himself at arm's length from all of these developments. Not only was Hitler uh, disinterested in the day-to-day workings of Uh, anything like the camp system or uh, other aspects of uh, the German state. Um, He was uh, very adept at uh, waving away um, official papers for him to sign or to look at or to read and said, uh, ultimately, his view of the Fuhrer Fuhrer principle was that these things could, uh, you know, the, the workings of state were best off left to mere functionaries and he was not there to engage with such matters. Instead, he was there to inspire. He was there for ordinary Germans to look up to and to be led by. Hitler's view of these uh, matters was that if they were left alone, they would pretty much resolve themselves. So he rarely took uh, an involvement or uh, an interest in uh, what was happening inside the camps. Hitler also liked plausible deniability. One of the things that Hitler never did was, you know, except in a couple of very rare cases, was put his signature to uh, official documents and, and papers, particularly anything relating to state repression. He did not wish to uh, be uh, pinned down on any of these kinds of uh, demands and, and instructions. Uh, instead, Hitler was happy to uh, delegate to Himmler somebody whom, until the end of the war, he trusted implicitly uh, and saw Himmler and himself as having shared values and ideas. The uh, working of the camp uh, system was just one part of Hitler's overall vision for transforming Germany from taking what he viewed as a kind of a weak and ill-disciplined Germany, one that had uh, really failed in its historic mission, 
uh, and transforming it into something far more robust, far more capable of being able to fight the, the next war. So it's interesting when we talk about um, Hitler's views of fighting the next war and what the SS believed that they were doing. Many SS believed that um, the, the next war had begun in 1933, and the, well, the, the first war had begun in, in 1933, and that was uh, the, the war on Germany itself, and it was a war on what Hitler had described as social ballast. Um, the, uh, not just the, the, the communists, but those that did not fit into the Nazi view of society, those who were um, uh, considered to be asocial, uh, those who were work-shy or lived uh, alternative or bohemian lifestyles, those who were uh, addicted, those who were criminal or deviant. The uh, people who were not going to be part of Hitler's vision of the future. So, um, the, the camp system... Um, as we are finding out more and more about it through these um, these podcasts, contains all sorts of unexpected paradoxes uh, when it comes to um, order and the creation of um, rules and regulations. But there are, if you look at the Soviet camps, all sorts of similar um, unexpected paradoxes. Uh, and part of this is to do with the um, authoritarian and dictatorial states um, that emerge in the 20th century that contain strange paradoxes and contradictions of their own. Anyway, I'm going to finish there, but just a reminder that we're funded through a trickle of advertising revenue, but also the generosity of you guys, the listeners. So if anyone can contribute to the Patreon page, I'm going to put a link down below and some cool stuff on there already. Um, and hopefully uh, I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks. All the best. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.